You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Lucy Kellison. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. Later in the program, we have Disabulletin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. Hosted by Abe Shapiro. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half an hour, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. During council report at the Bloomington City Council meeting on April 19th, council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith shared news from her position on the Solid Waste Management Board. She shared the results of the survey done on the viability of an anaerobic waste digester. So this study was undertaken uh, to see if it would be feasible to install an anaerobic digester. So currently the, the, the organic matter that comes to um, the wastewater treatment plants is uh, processed aerobically, meaning it's, it's kind of uh, so, sorted out and it's just kind of left in the sun to, to, um, to, get, to get dried out and then it's hauled away. Um, so the study was to find out whether um, it would be uh, technically and financially feasible to instead use that organic matter to create energy. Piedmont Smith said she believes the anaerobic digester is a good idea for the city to pursue. Then, city council member Kate Rosenbarger shared that the Bloomington resident, David Howard, passed away and shared the impact that he had on the community. I want to take my report tonight to honor and remember David Howard, who passed away on April 10th. I want to express gratitude for getting to know him. Sorry, my computer just messed up. And for the work he has done in our community. David always had a million things going on at once, and I want to acknowledge some of the great work he did for housing and economic development in downtown. One of his first projects, David rehabbed the Sullivan Building on North Washington Street, adding two stories to the building, a positive example of incremental and infill development. David was a visionary for change. He built on South Walnut, adding density with a couple of plexes and commercial space along one of our corridors. David and his business partner developed Alley Works on West 6th Street, which includes 33 downtown apartments, Nourish Bar, Brilliant Coffee, and Capiche Market. On top of Alley Works, David built Bloomington's first live roof in 2019. David was seen as an energizer bunny, a force of nature, and wildly productive. He was a foodie who brought awesome chefs and delicious food to his restaurants, from the best gelato and in-house roasted coffee to lobster spring rolls. He played the cello. He minored in cello performance in quartets around town for almost 20 years, and he co-owned First Light Farms, growing organic mushrooms and microgreens. David could identify community needs and figure out how to provide for them from small-scale developments to mushrooms. 
One of the many wonderful things about David was he loved dreaming big with his clients and business partners. Anything you could think of, he responded with, oh yeah, we can do that. His death is a tragic loss, and my heart is with his friends, family, and all of those impacted. A memorial service for David will be held at Allen Funeral Home from 1 to 3 p.m. Sunday, April 30th. During public comment, housing advocate Deborah Meyerson asked the council to address the housing crisis when they consider next year's budget. My name is Deborah Meyerson. I'm a member of the Advocacy Committee for the South Central Housing Network. And as city council members start to think about the budget for next fiscal year, I'd like to encourage you to look at the city's comprehensive plan uh, adopted in 2018, particularly chapter five on housing and neighborhoods. And as you review this chapter, I encourage you to consider what have we accomplished in the last five years? What needs more attention and what needs revision? And finally, how can the vision for housing and neighborhoods in the comprehensive plan be reflected in next year's budget? I encourage you to think about these as new fiscal year resolutions and look at some ha selected housing specific items in the comp plan. I'm just gonna mention a few goals just to refresh on that. Um, one includes goal 5.1, which is housing affordability, including access to affordable housing for a continuum of needs in Bloomington, including people experiencing homelessness, low income, moderate income households, and striving for permanent affordability in both rental and owner-occupied housing options. And that includes expanding and sustaining housing programs designed to serve the identified long-term housing affordability needs of these to achieve an income diverse and inclusive city and establishing affordable housing in locations with close proximity to schools, employment centers, transit, recreational opportunities, and other community resources. Housing supply help to meet the current and projected regional housing needs of all economic and demographic groups by increasing Bloomington's housing supply with infill development, reuse of residential development, of non-residential developed land, and developments on vacant land, neighborhood stabilization, promoting a variety of homeownership and rental housing options, and promoting and maintaining housing options within neighborhoods to ensure a diversity of housing types, a mix of household incomes, and a variety of homeownership and rental opportunities. Next, the council heard from Development Services Manager Jackie Scanlon, who asked the council to approve amendments to the Urban Development Ordinance. Some of the changes proposed were mere typos, and some changed phrases like invasive species to prohibited species. Scanlon explained that they were updating their code on floodplains to comply with Indiana Department of Natural Resources flood plan definition requirements. Most of these pages are um, definition changes related to the guidance that we got from the state. So um, the DNR provides information to us uh, about and they have a model code. So you have seen that. We, up, we updated to their model code a number of years ago and then they updated again. So we are now... Um, updating our code to meet their requirements uh, so that we can be a community that offers flood, flood insurance. Um, so we have to be uh, updated to their uh, model code standards. So most of, the, um, most of the changes to chapter seven are related to that. And then you will see that again in chapter four. There are a handful that aren't, so I will call those out. And then um, I, I or someone can try to answer questions if you have floodplain questions. Um, the one that, we, one that we are adding is for basement. We are adding the 
phrase and number of stories. <clears throat> so a basement shall be counted as a story for determining building setbacks and numbers of stories if, and then there's a description basically for a basement that's visible. That's important to add because uh, when we did the code update, we changed from height only to height and stories for our regulations. So we need to know whether or not we're counting that level as a story uh, when we're talking about maximums. So just adding that phrase in there. And then let's see here. So you will see other uh, changes on these pages I'm passing, but they are all related to um, uh, meeting the floodplain definition requirements. The council voted to approve the changes on the four ordinances Scanlon presented to update the Urban Development Ordinance. The Bloomington City Council will hold a meeting to discuss next year's budget. The meeting is called the Common Council Budget Advance and will be held on April 25th. Now it's time for Disabilitin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. Hosted by Abe Shapiro. We turn to Shapiro for more. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and this is Disabilitin. Tonight, we present a new installment of our docu-series, Lawyers, Schools, and Access, the History of Special Education in the United States. Tonight's episode, The Ohio and Washington Brigade. When we last left off, we were discussing the case of Goldman v. Ohio of 1933, in which local student Beldine Goldman had been originally excluded from school due to a low IQ, though she was later reinstated upon appeal by her parents to the Cuyahoga County Court of Appeals. The court ruled that only the Ohio Department of Education, rather than the Cuyahoga County School District, could exclude students with disabilities. However, if the state adopted a rule that students below an IQ of 50 could be excluded, then Belding could be removed from school due to her disability. Shortly after winning their case against the Cuyahoga County School Board, which allowed for their daughter's reinstatement, the Goldmans helped mobilize parents across the state by establishing a new organization, the Cuyahoga County Council for the Disabled Child, which was incorporated on September 17, 1935. Although according to her book on the history of the organization published in 1970, Council historian Sally Schmidt wrote that the organization had actually been around informally since 1931, with an operating body of 500 members, and prided itself on being, quote, the first organization to work with and for the disabled child living at home with its parents in the community, end quote. Gary Tonks, president of the Ohio chapter of the disability advocacy organization, the Ark of the United States, provides a historical look at what the education system was like for children with disabilities in Ohio prior to the council's founding. A lot of people didn't go beyond the eighth grade, but for those families that lived in more urban areas, especially like Cleveland and Cincinnati, they began looking for alternatives. The only alternative at that point in time was a state institution. And even in the 30s, state institutions were not necessarily nice places to go. They had started back in the 1860s as training programs that were supposedly, at least in theory, 
going to be training programs on how to work on a farm. By the turn of the 20th century, people didn't come back. You know, we sent them to a training program, but they didn't necessarily come back to their home communities. And then the 1930s hit with the Great Depression. So parent groups began to form, and Ohio was critical in the formation of some of our first. Cuyahoga County wasn't called the Ark then, but parent groups in Cuyahoga County, Cleveland, and parent groups in Cincinnati began to organize. Those organizations just began to evolve throughout the country. At the same time, over 2,000 miles away in Washington state, a mass mobilization of parents had also come to the surface. It was now time for their grievances to be heard on the state level. Since 1890, Washington had made significant progress in special education, albeit with some shortcomings. Although it passed a bill requiring parents to register any child with a disability in 1889, a year after becoming a state, the law was not always enforced, which led to such children being sent to institutions, such as the State Custodial School at Medical Lake near Spokane, founded in 1905. However, conditions at the school, in addition to its neighboring school, the Eastern State Hospital, were appalling. On October 21, 1935, a group of parents assembled for a meeting, disenchanted with the quality of life that their children were receiving at the Institutional State Custodial School at Medical Lake. These parents sought reform. This delegation was led by one James Oakley, whose own son resided at the school and who wanted to provide him, along with the other children, forms of entertainment and social resources that were not provided by the state. At this historic meeting, the group declared themselves as committed towards, quote, working on behalf of the institutionalized children as the Children's Benevolent League, or CBL. The CBL began to flourish within other communities throughout the state. In 1936, the CBL's expansion exploded with its Articles of Incorporation signed in Tacoma on April 15th of that year, officially establishing the organization." End quote. Three months later, on June 27th, the CBL held its first ever statewide convention and deliberated over the organization's goals, which would be legislation-focused. Fifty delegates from towns throughout the state of Washington gathered, qualifying the CBL as an official statewide organization. To bring the CBL's voice to the state government, the CBL's president, Monty Percival, ran for the state senate and won. In the state senate, Percival would be appointed a chairman of the State Charitable Institutions Committee and proposed legislation for a second state school for parents on the west side of the state living near Tacoma and Seattle, and who were therefore way too far from the state custodial school at Medical Lake, which was already facing overcrowding. While the original goal of the organization was to provide resources and improve conditions for children residing in both Washington institutions, it soon became apparent that this was a very painful choice for parents who felt that they were abandoning their children. This change of view by parents resulted in outreach to other organizations throughout the country, which included CBL members speaking at major conventions, including a rather notable one in May 1950, which was sponsored by what was then known as the American Association of Mental Deficiency. Again, Gary Tonks. By 1950, 
there had been since the for a very long time an organization called it's currently called the american association on intellectual and developmental disabilities the membership was predominantly the superintendents of state facilities throughout the country they held a national convention in columbus ohio in the spring of 1950 and the superintendents had heard about these family groups that had been organically starting throughout the country and the these professionals who had a phrase of along with physicians the best thing for them would be to place them with people of their own kind in a state facility these professionals at their professional national convention decided we need a track for these parents so let's have a track in our national conference in columbus ohio and let's invite these parents well the parents came and they made a decision during that time to hold their own convention and form their own organization so by the fall of 1950 in minneapolis minnesota they created an organization now known as the Ark of the United States. But this expansion created some tension between the Seattle and Spokane branches, since Seattle wanted to further the CBL's influence nationwide, while the Spokane branch wished to focus on their own children and institutions. This infighting would further the split between the two factions as evidenced when members of the Seattle branch won all of the organization's executive committee seats at the 1949 CBL convention. This conflict reached its climax on November 20th of that year when, during a meeting between the Seattle and Spokane branches regarding the executive committee's amending the CBL's constitution to focus on nationwide expansion, Seattle's leader Bob Levitt stood up and said, quote, more disturbing than the subjects of controversy at this meeting was the lack of cooperation received at all times on all issues from the east side due to the difference of subjective and objective thinking. That is, the west side, the Seattle branch of the CBL, is interested in the far-reaching ideal of research and pursuing a progressive course towards better care and aid for all handicapped children, not only our own in the schools. With or without you, we are going to accomplish our purposes so long as we have a prayer in our hearts and breath in our bodies to do so." End quote. Two years after this statement, the Spokane chapter of the CBL filed for dissolution of its own chapter, but would eventually agree to work alongside the Seattle sect under the new organization now known as the Washington Ark, one of the first chapters of the United States arc. In our next installment, the shift towards the inclusion of children with disabilities continues as parents of the arc of the United States and its statewide chapters across the country begin a unified set of battles for their children's right to a public education. Abe Shapiro, WFHB News, Live and Learn. Up next, we have Little Bub's Little Show, a co-production between WFHB and Little Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment.
Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. On today's episode of Lil Bub's Lil Show, we're going to be talking about one of nature's most important land stewards, the beaver. Beavers are the second largest living rodent, and they can be found in a number of freshwater habitats like rivers, streams, lakes, and ponds. Water is the most important part of their habitat. They have very thick coats of fur that help keep them warm, help them float, and help protect them from predators. They are herbivorous, meaning they eat plants, and they're mainly nocturnal, spending most days in their shelters and becoming more active at twilight and into the night. Beavers are skilled swimmers. They have large skulls and powerful chewing muscles, which they need to chew down trees for building dams and lodges. Besides trees and tree branches, beavers use vegetation, rocks, and mud to build their homes. When they create dams and lodges, they impound water which serves as shelter for other animals. Their infrastructure creates wetlands used by many other species, and because of their effect on other organisms in the ecosystem, they are considered a keystone species. They also create water channels to forage through their environment. Through these deep water channels, beavers can easily navigate their surroundings, access food sources, and avoid predators. The backed-up water they create then spreads across the surrounding landscape, creating complex side channels that support fish habitats. This backed-up water also seeps into the ground, allowing underground aquifers to be refilled. Through their daily activities, beavers alter the landscape and create habitats for many other species like fish, aquatic animals, and birds, making them an important piece of our natural ecosystem. The complexes that beavers make can also act as water filters, trapping sediment and filtering out toxins to improve downstream water quality. They also help to slow spring runoff, which buffers the impact of flooding and drought in many places. Another important thing beavers help with is climate change. As climate change leads to increased frequency and strength of wildfires, the work of beavers has significant beneficial impacts. Beaver meadows can function as fire breaks and shield plants and animals from high-intensity burning, and beaver dams have been shown to reduce the power of runoff and filter out sediment that fills rivers and streams after a wildfire. Beavers are a crucial piece of land stewardship in many places, including right here in south-central Indiana. Our very own Sycamore Land Trust has several beaver dams in Monroe County. Beavers transform the land they inhabit, as well as bring new life into the areas they live. Sycamore Land Trust is a nonprofit conservation organization that has been protecting land, restoring habitat, and connecting people to nature in southern Indiana since 1990. Sycamore owns and cares for 10,763 acres on over 128 protected properties and maintains trails on 13 preserves for free public use. They also have two cameras that watch two different beaver lodges. You can see some of their wildlife footage, which includes not only beavers, but bobcats and many other native Indiana animals and birds, on their website, sycamorelandtrust.org. 
If you're interested in checking out the natural habitats beavers help create, you can hike one of my favorite Sycamore Land Trust preserves, Bean Blossom Bottoms. Sycamore Land Trust is a great place to discover nature preserves to hike and to find ways to share the great outdoors with family and friends. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specialising in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Snyder in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Abe Shapiro. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. And I'm Lucy Kellison. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only, volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program, you can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our cool letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Spectrum, world of science and technology, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 